Um, what I was gonna say is that it kind of, it kind of, um, it kind of speaks to the point that you said before, where um, you say that both of us we struggle with the same thing of trying to understand what things are authentically you and what things have been placed inside you from other people, right? So when it when you when you have these battles within yourself and you and you are not sure what things you have to work change through. or work through, um are you working through and you ask and I ask myself um, am I working? Am I trying to? Um, am I trying to change something that is me? Wrong approach. Okay. Oh, I won't say that's the wrong approach because what I've learned, what I've begun to learn more recently, is that I need to stop apportioning right and wrong. See, this is uh, this is another debate, but yes. Not only that, I don't believe in right and wrong. I believe in choices, and whether yeah. you have. Yeah. There were the consequences of their choices. Human being at the end of the day. Someone if you know as an individual being you have no that's what free will is to understand the choice. But didn't say there was a right and when he said you have free will. You have free will, you have free will to make a choice, but he's telling you I probably say you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this, you don't do that. Understand that we have it, in some ways it's a bit of a headbutt, <laughs> so right. to speak. Yeah, yeah. You have two choices, but someone told you this is right and wrong. So why have you given a choice then? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's not so much about choice in that mm. respect. It is about understanding that. If you um, you know how best to put this in a yeah. get into my head. <laughs> it's not that it's the wrong approach, but when you just start from a thing of what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me type of thing, that sends you down a faster spiral than anything mm-hmm. because you then stop kicking at every single thing that yeah. happened. You, 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 you find yourself in a confirmation bias loop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Same thing that confirm what you believe. Uh-huh. Yeah, but because you're focusing on that. Okay. But for me, That's my partner, I think it was yesterday, the day before, that I realized I didn't really talk about my childhood. I didn't really think about my childhood that publicly to my friends or anyone. Since the age of 15, I've not spoken about my childhood. Wow. And it's only in the last year or two that I've really started, as I felt, with like overcoming the trauma with the stuff mm-hmm. that I've really started to mm-hmm. delve into my childhood. Yeah. I really realized, wow, a lot of stuff. I'm dealing with now stems from the mm-hmm. I 
I'm fine, but I like pictures, but I don't really like taking pictures. Not with like memories and no child memory and that. Yeah, yeah. I find that while they go, they hold or paint a particular picture of that time. Uh-huh. That when back to that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Always in happy days and it is there, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but stops you from seeing what really was going on because you might have been a child at that time not the smile in that camera but i guarantee you your mom your uncle or someone told you to smile for the camera yeah 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 there was something that happened that was made you upset but everyone was like smile 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 mm-hmm. because of that we can find ourselves remembering things that didn't happen and memory and its memory in it in, it, in and of itself is not reliable. Yeah. And so because any, at any one moment you unless you have a way or not mind palace where you can part you know how to compartmentalize memory so vividly you know, that the chances are that your memory doesn't come back chronologically. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. Like the right type of memory you draw it out when you need mm-hmm. to. Um because of that different events can overlap. Yeah. And actually yeah. call it is that yeah. because that confirmation bias comes in. You're trying mm-hmm. to remember something which means that your brain or your subconscious will help you to believe that you yeah, do yeah, yeah. Yeah. that understanding that our brain and our subconscious does so much mm-hmm. to protect us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. As adults, most of the life thinking that we're okay, life is good, know that man, we're blessed. But the reality is that we've just put on so many layers of clothes mm-hmm. that other people have put on to us. You know, our values, that's one layer of clothes. Religion, that's one layer of clothes. Yeah. Um, how your family wash or how they go cook a particular food, tradition, and that. That's one layer of clothes. Um, what time you wake up in the morning, how your family conduct themselves, that's another layer. And you keep adding layers and layers and layers and layers. Yeah. layers. Get to the degree, then you get to the job, and then you get to the house, and then you get to the family, and you wrap yourself in all these layers of achievement without ever really knowing yourself. Oftentimes it's hard for me to find that because I'm always looking at the world. There are times when I can switch off and I can compartmentalize and I can be really interested in sport, really interested in something else, but it tends to be quite intense focus on that thing, intense focus mm-hmm. on if my focus is too intense to one on, on one thing, then I lose sight of everything else that's going on around me. And that then back to my deafness. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So the impact on my mental state as well, because physically I have to be aware of everything that's going on around me. So I need yeah. to look at my eyes all the time. Yeah. So I, um, my body language is, is uh, so my form of communication is body language. I use people's body language in order to assess what they're saying to me, whilst I also lip read. I can let read and you assess someone's body language, what that person says in their body language, oftentimes 
something that 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 is very interesting to me the idea that um you you have to in some ways you will get a better picture of a person's true 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 self mm. yeah um but in a, in a lot of ways you are in a situation where you're missing the small details oh, uh, in communication. Um, yeah. So, like you said, it is a gift. It, in the, in the same regard, it's a gift and a curse. Um, so, I'm I'm a good communicator. If you, I'm a good communicator. If you consider being a public speaker, to be an end of public speaking, of, of communication, you understand? Right. Because that's how I learned to speak because that became my show, so to speak. Right. It's, it's wild, man, like trying to look back and I'm trying to understand how, for me, why I feel an anomaly. I feel like an anomaly in that sense. Yeah. I can't find that level ground with deaf people besides the heartache that we go through. In terms of communication, I can't communicate with deaf people because I don't sign. Even now? Even now, I don't sign. It's only last year that I really started accepting my deafness and publicly wearing my hair and aid and all that. So, wow. A very long process of trying to find and develop my identity. Something I, I suffered a lot before that, but mm. I had to go through my journey step by step. Yeah, yeah. Personally, be the person that went through that journey and you know, suffered mm -hmm. every day, whereas other people had the benefit of having someone teach them or tell them how to do something that yeah. they and go up and about their business. So everything was a lot slower or everything is still a lot slower for me mm -hmm. in terms of progress and coming forward. But out of that, I get more appreciation for life and human body and the mind itself when mm -hmm. you do take that process. Okay. Can I ask you, I want to ask you yeah, that, um, When you say when you say that you were in denial of your deafness, right? What does that look like? When you when when you're um, when you're moving through life, yeah. when you're um, living your day to day life, um, going to college, like you said, going to college, um, working, going to work, all of these things. Um, and maybe, I don't know when you were not wearing your hearing aid, um, but how how do you, do, do, do people not know? Are you, are you, are you, in your mind, are you trying to hide it? Are I you trying to pretend to, that you could? Yeah, I was basically trying to hide and pretend that I was hearing, because obviously I could speak, so people assume that if you could speak, you can hear, wouldn't it? So, right. Like even now, I still do it. My partner would tell you, even now, I still do it. Every <laughs> day. 
I'll be yeah. talking about, yeah, 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 yeah. And you'll be like, what did you say? What did I say? And I'll be like, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, I, I went through that period because I felt like in order to fit in, I needed to look like everyone else. And I was tended to be the only person in a room who had a hearing aid. You understand? Mm-hmm. And after a while, that gets a little bit, it gets a bit dry. And I mean, after just five years of having to explain to people what's in your ear, like, what's that in your ear? What's that in your ear? What does it do? Like, well, it's a fucking hearing aid. What, what, what do you not see? <laughs> uh, did you get yeah. Yeah, you should get that. After about five years of having my hearing aid, I was like, fuck this, I ain't wearing my hearing aid. I used to be able to hear before, I'm sure I'll be able to hear after. Uh, but at that point, my hearing had actually got worse. What? So it was literally a decision, a choice that I made. But again, it was down to the lack of support systems that I had yes. around that time. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of an old one. Man. For me, is the pinnacle of everything that I do. Is you need to take the time to understand. You need to slow down. You need to stop. But it requires to be able to do it in this space of time. Because it's taken me ten years to get to this point. But I would say the last four or five years with my partner probably accelerated. It probably would have taken me another 10 years to get to this point if I hadn't moved, I feel like. So, and not only that, I'm deaf, so I have time. <laughs> I can drone out, I'm not distracted by the world, anything wow. like that. Wow, so, yeah. So, I don't need someone like yourself, if the phone rings, you hear that. If the phone rings, it can ring and ring and ring, I won't hear it. Can you understand? Someone yeah. put no on the door, I won't hear that. So it's a lot of things that have helped me to get through my process a lot quicker. Yeah, I'm not mm. distracted at the benefit of being able to sit in my room every single day for hours while I was depressed and just think. And just think, read books, you know, go into my memory, start a question, why did I do that? Cool, let me go and find a research behavioral scientist. Cool. But at number one, we start leadership, and I'm just learning, just and you just connect the dots. That's mm-hmm. what it is. And it's just a sparse, there's a map of dots. And our job as adulthood is in as adult is to basically connect the dots. Do the same thing as me, and not be in a nation of Islam. Do you understand? It's a mm-hmm. process of. of Self transformation is something that anyone can go through. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's just a bit of question of the flaws because most of the people who started the nation of Islam in this country in the 80s, they were younger than you and I. Mm-hmm. They were yeah. 15 to 22 when they found the Minister Farrakhan in America and they were like, you know what, we want to do the same thing over here. At 18 to 22, you don't know nothing. Yeah, facts. Literally, you're guessing, you're everyone, you're assigning roles of power to this one and that one. People are abusing their roles, you know, people are you know, taking advantage of that fact, and that is going to happen. So, mistakes occur, you know, splits occur, people you know, part ways, it will happen. Mm-hmm. So, it's a 
like I said, there's a downside to everything, every route that you take. But it's what lessons you take from that. Uh, if you then start it again, or if you then, if you believe in that message, well, what would you do differently? And that's where, that's what the uber human way is for me, is what I would do differently, how I would approach. You know, teaching people the same thing that I was taught, how I would teach my children, how I would raise my children. You understand that it's a lifestyle. Yeah. I don't train. My training, I, I, I don't do training. I, I go out and I go to the gym and other stuff. I don't consider it training. For me, that leisure time, because I'm training every single day in my house, I'm doing something. That to me, that's more time for content. Is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Training for me is every day. I could be training while I'm sat down right here, be stretching out my leg while I'm talking to you. Yeah. Dad, I'm rotating or breathing. Um, anything that I'm always in an active state of readiness. And that's what measurement has done. Prepared me for my body. This process where I got this physique started from a breakup. My partner you know, broke up with me. I can't remember what we broke up about, actually. But she broke up with me, and she knows getting tired, but she was always making like um, little things, you know, little things and remarks about you know, being skinny and not like, how she liked henchmen and that stuff. Like, now, you when know. a person and people are like, oh, how do you get that? I'm like, bro, I broke up with my ex. Yeah. And I was like, what? She was a henchman, yeah. Cool. I'm gonna give her a henchman, man. And six weeks straight, yeah, I was going, I was working out in the park every single day, throwing up like I drove myself to absolute pits of health to get a big body, but then it morphed into something where when I got the body, I became arrogant, I became so self sure of myself, and I became someone I wasn't. Because then other people also had an expectation of how I should carry myself as someone who's big and got a body, you know, that you know, people expected that because I had a body. It meant I was sleeping, I would get anywhere sleeping around or get all the girls, you know. And that wasn't the mind, that wasn't my reality, you understand? But I had to live up to that and put that image on, you understand? Mm-hmm. So that little one act of being mm-hmm. made adequate, you know, impacted 10 years of my life, the trajectory of 10 years. Can you imagine just that one, and that one person was in my life for one year. But that little thing impacted 10 years of my life, and it's turned out to be a little for the good. You understand? But this is what I'm talking about. How honest are you about the experience you've had? How honest are you about how you reacted to a certain situation, to an argument, to something your mum said, to something your dad said, something your friend said? Yeah. How honest are you with yourself? Mm. Always have this tendency of saying that I'm going to put it to the back of my mind. I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm going to get on with it. But in that moment, you felt like you wanted to kill that person. In that moment, you felt like you wanted, you know, you wanted to cry. You wanted, you wanted, you felt something in that moment. Why are you stopping yourself from feeling that again? Do you understand? And mm-hmm. that's so. If you don't process that feeling, that's that becomes your darkness, that then becomes your demon, that then becomes what you're running from, and you don't realize it because you're okay, I'm okay, you're cool, you're done. But I I find that 
you don't realize that little incidents, small little incidents, no matter how minuscule they are, they all add up. Don't deal with them, you don't trust them, they all add up, they tally and tally and tally and tally and tally. And then you've got a little Megatron, <laughs> you've got a Megatron in the hand now, you're trying to know, you've got your own Optimus Prime, and now you have to rediscover your body, you have to learn about yourself, you have to start that, all right. Why did I react this way? Why did I push it to the back of my mind? Why didn't I say this to that person? What stopped me? Why, why did I feel so weak that I couldn't say that to that person? Why did I lack courage in that moment to address mm -hmm. this? You understand this really type of thing. And that's what I'm saying when I say that if you, you want to be truly honest about who you are, then you have to look at every single situation, how you respond to a situation, all the type of things that I'm trying to learn about mm -hmm. myself. Uh, I've got this place and I just moved in and uh, I broke down in the tears the other day when my partner was saying I've been snapping at her and stuff and I'm like, in my head I'm like, I don't think I've been snapping, I don't understand. But then I realised that I didn't even feel like I deserved this place. Mm -hmm. and that, I felt like I deserved anything that I've had in my life so to speak of the nation of Islam because my mum drove this idea in my head that I had to struggle for everything I know, everything that if I want to be the best, I had to struggle and earn it. It had to be hard work. And all I ever saw from my mum the struggle, hard work, was that I never really saw the rewards of that. So in my mind, I'm trapped in that and I'm trying to replicate that same environment again because I feel like that's where I can best thrive. And now I'm realizing, no, that's not my environment, that's my mum's environment. You understand? I can't bring that here. It's that so it's it's things like that so I've been able to assess yourself. Been able to when someone checks you like I hate when my girlfriend checks me. I hate it. But I have to go away because I'm on a journey. I've been like, I'm learning about myself. I, if someone else from outside me seeing something that I possibly can't see, if that mm. gives me opportunity, then to analyze something. So that's what I say. You don't have to be like, oh, what's wrong? What am I doing wrong? Sometimes people will tell you what's wrong. You might not like it. Mm -hmm. But if you take the time to listen to what they're saying, that little one thing that they tell you as well can be the, the, the spark of your journey to understanding yourself. Because that one question then leads to other questions and other questions. Then you're basically Alice in the rabbit hole just going down and yeah. come to the adventure. And I appreciate that. Um, it's interesting that you say that just because um, I've got a friend. I've got a nickname. My nickname by my friend is um, Bricktop. So my head is, you know, when you're hard headed, my head's hard. That's what my friends, my friends call me that because I don't, I don't, according to them, I don't take um, advice very well. Um, oh. So I'm, um, I'm stubborn, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting for me. What spoke to me just then was where you were saying that if you, if you, if you listen to the being challenged, when someone challenges you, it's an opportunity for you to then analyze whether there is truth in what they are saying. Um, and that just spoke to me that made that was something that I feel like um, my my inability to do that mm -hmm. is something that has um, 
I believe has stunted my growth. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I agree with that. I feel like that aspect of what you're mentioning, it's easier for women to do that because they're conditioned in the world that way. They're conditioned to be able to express their emotions and understand their emotions. Men, they're meant to go to work, do the hard work, lift the hard, empty the bin, play FIFA, <laughs> drink the bit. <laughs> and then they're just mm-hmm. like, just a heavy hand. So, for, for women, I'm sorry, for men, this might be slightly harder because we're not taught how to express our emotions. Mm-hmm. We're not taught how to deal with negative emotions that arise. And sometimes there's a feeling that makes you so uncomfortable because it makes you uncomfortable, it makes you want to lash out, it makes you want to snap, and all that stuff because you know what it is. So it's but it's there and it makes you even might even scare you when those stuff, but because it scares you, you want to get that out, and that's the difference that. We don't know how to get it out. The only way we know how to get it out is through our fists. You understand? Yeah. That's why we know boys will be boys. No, boys will not be boys. Boys will be men. You understand that? We will be men, but we're not taught how to be men. We're not taught that emotional is a, a, a massive part of being men. You understand? And because of that, we're kept away from that. Communication and communication barriers, you understand? You find that sometimes men aren't as efficient communicators in their relationship as their female partners are. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's also another side to that in the fact that sometimes women don't understand how men communicate. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So because we have two distinct genders going at each other because mm-hmm. one thinks a particular way, one thinks the other way. And that then stops them from being able to find that common ground because, you know, it's a it becomes a cycle of you know, that tip for tat as well, you know, pretty much. You know, yeah, um, yeah. It's so hard. It's literally so hard to escape from it. Man. Uh, it is hard. I think, but I think, I think, how I view it, I believe that um, it's very cliche. So. Um, I can only control myself. Mm-hmm. So I I can only I can only change how I react mm-hmm. to the feelings to react to the feelings that you describe. So if I'm triggered by something and I snap and I I shout or I'm aggressive um it might be an involuntary response in the moment, but I have to be able to um, address it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to someone who, I was talking to um, the lady that was on the last, the woman that was on the last podcast, right? Um, we, was talking, we was talking on the phone before the podcast and talking about um, men having the vocabulary to... Um, articulate their feelings and their emotions and like you said like you said that the um women have women are given permission 
to access their emotions, right? Um, but we as men, we we yes, but we have to we we have to. It's it's in individually we have to be responsible for learning the language of emotions. We have we have to do that ourselves because society won't do that. Have that though. Remember, mm-hmm. we have right, we have both chromosomes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So they already have that capacity. Men are disconnected from the feminine side of themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when you are disconnected from the feminine side of yourself, it makes it harder for you then to understand the feminine when it comes to you. Feminine is something to be protected, not realizing that you yourself are also the feminine. You understand? You know, that patriarchal view of femininity and Mm -hmm. masculinity very much. The feminine must be protected, and the masculine must be the protector. You Mm -hmm. understand? And in that sense, it weakens our own perspective of femininity because then we see feminine as weak. As, mm-hmm. as something that is less than ourselves. Because if you need to be protected, then you must be weak. That's the way of this world, you understand? Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a psychological thing as well, just that we have to post If you say to a man, be more feminine, he's going to say that, or if you say to a man, he's acting feminine, mm-hmm. he's going to turn around and do what you're trying to say, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. And we immediately associate that because of the that it's got lesser than you. You understand that a gay man is lesser than that masculine. You understand that that's not right. So because of that, we have association, the word association. That's why I like playing that game of word association every mm. now and then. See mm. what, what thing people associate words with. You understand if I was to give you a word and be like, all right, no, if I was to throw it out, um, Arrive above a picture, all right? What is the first picture that comes into your head when you think of peace, Zen? Um, probably a, a white dove. A white dove, right? Uh, you're conditioned to think of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peace does not look like that. I was, gonna, I was gonna lie as well. <laughs> become a dove in the first place to be able to sell there, you understand? That's the yeah. way that we, that, yeah. that's the part that we're missing yeah. often that we associate a lot of positive words and positive intended, positively intended words yeah. with the end result. Yeah. And associated with the journey that goes on before the end result. And because of that we miss a key part of all of these things that we preach about happiness, um, peace, inner peace, zen, find the balance. We miss the key points because we don't understand that there's a big amount of work that goes on underneath to achieve those things. It's not just about waking up and saying, I'm happy. Cool, you can do that 50, 50, 55 days. Mm. But that's not going to change the fact that if you haven't found happiness, the point where you don't need to say that you're happy every day 
then you're not really happy. You understand? Mm-hmm. You're happy. You don't need to say that you are. You understand? But mm-hmm. a lot of books and all that stuff is what they call them. Now, this self-help books, I can't remember what they call them, but there was a, an article I read in The Guardian where they were talking about self-help um, books being some kind of scam. Okay. That basically traps people into the very system that they're trying to get away from just helps them to find more efficient way to live within a system that is oppressing them, so to speak. So yeah. our idea of peace and Zen and that stuff, a lot of the spiritual aspects of it, you won't read about that in the books that do with self-help. Mm-hmm. So it's about how to organize, how to put things together, how to change your house around, but it won't deal with the spiritual side of it. So yeah, yeah. words, repeat affirmations, all that stuff. But it goes much deeper than that. And what I explained to you know, earlier, for example, is basically that part of the process being able to assess and understand your weakest point, understand why you are weak in those ways. You understand? It's not to say mm-hmm. that you are a weak person, but everyone has a weakness. That what is my weakness? And if I can work on my weakness, I'm probably more likely to become a more wholesome person. You understand? And mm-hmm. that's where I tend to diverge slightly from the norms uh, in terms of how we can live, how we can develop ourselves as human beings. So, um, mm-hmm. I'm very much of the opinion that I'm I would consider myself an outlier. I would consider myself someone who I don't really care much about civilized society, um, nine to five type society. You know, I don't really care about that. I care about expanding human consciousness. I care about finding out what else is out there. What is the next step? We're told we only use you know, up to 10% or we've only unlocked 5% of our brain cool. Mm. How I can get 25% of this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and there are books out there who have talk about these things. There are neuroscientists, behavioral scientists, cognitive therapists who are talking about how you can unlock our brains and be a bit more efficient. But the masses won't know that unless they are on a, a journey of self discovery. You have no mm-hmm. reason. Neuroscientists, behavioral scientists, and that stuff, are not on a journey of self discovery. You understand? You have no reason to Google those things. be more conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to sound funny, but we need to be more conscious of our subconscious. Yeah. <laughs> because it's the subconscious mind that drives all our behaviors, our habits, uh, beliefs, values, and everything that you do triggers. That's where it's held. The subconscious mind is the journal, it's the log, it's the archive, it's the operating system of the brain. So when you're making a connection between what a person has said and how it makes you feel, it's the subconscious mm-hmm. mind that makes that connection. It's the subconscious mind that triggers the memory that reminds you of the other time that someone said that same yeah. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, that same hurt again because it hasn't mm-hmm. been resolved. Not right because you pushed it to the back of your mind. And that is something that people don't consider. We use words 
and like you said, words are spells, like names are names are, are called, like names are instructional, and even they tell you about who you are. Words are spells. When you say, "I'm pushing it to the back, back of the mind," the back of the mind is the subconscious. Influencer, whether you want to think, whoever you want to speak as, but one message, um, the final thought who, how, yeah, what would you say? I would say, I say, and no one else in my social income. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would say the same. I know time seems uncertain now. I know that time seems almost pointless now. Um, although you don't have the same freedoms that we had, the luxuries that we had before lockdown and all this pandemic, whatever. We gained a new freedom to be able to search ourselves. We gained the freedom that we never had in our notes that has stopped and allowed us to be able to question the lives that we lead. You have the ability to question the world and the future that we want for our children and then determine whether we feel like we're on that path or whether we need to change course. This is the only time in the history of humanity where we've had an opportunity or we have an opportunity to really hold a mirror up at our world and ask, is this it? Is this what we were born for? Is this what Jesus died for? <laughs> is this what, what is, is this the future that you want to raise your children for? And with that, 
I would say that this is also an opportunity for a new kind of human consciousness by everyone sharing their story and platforms and yours. You helping people to create collective consciousness because that's how we understand each other when someone opens up and shares their story yes understand that person truly begin to understand them so we have a unique opportunity to try and create that where we share our vulnerabilities where we share our weaknesses and we don't hide behind the mask we take the mask off in doing that, humanity is able to heal better that way, rather than from a screen, you know, you know I'm sorry, you know, it's like, mm. so, bye. My message, my one message is, don't lose hope. Why? Uh, but like a lot of people are losing hope right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. thank you so much um i'm i'm so grateful it's 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 i'm hoping this is a random person who came into my inbox and was like yeah when your podcast is like cool and you were like yeah i'm so happy about that talk to the podcast <laughs> listen i'm telling you i'm i'm so grateful um it's and it's everything that I thought it would be and more. Um and then literally ten minutes before we started, I found out that we've got a mutual friend. Um and then I was like, What? So I I knew definitely that you were somebody that um I was gonna enjoy speaking to and I was gonna learn from and that's what I found to be true. So um I thank you for for being here. Like, no, that's like, that's the least, man. That's the I'm I'm just I'm I'm su- I'm super happy. I'm uber happy. I'm uber I'm I'm uber happy. Um <laughs> yeah. Um oh, yeah, man. so I'm gonna I'm gonna get this I'm gonna get this locked down. Um um and yeah, we will yeah. we will feel free to feel free to message me on like no we need any help with what you're doing or like, no, Definitely, definitely. We're gonna keep in contact. Huh? Just you during the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long have you been it for? Since the first week of March. Okay, so it's pretty really new, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really new. Um, I love love what. Um, I've become a person I don't really like. I used to like putting myself out there a mm -hmm. lot. Like um, public speaking and that stuff, no, yeah. I said loads and that stuff. But after a while, I've, I've become more choosy about where I speak, who I speak to, and that yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There was just something curious about your know, presentation, you know, the name, everything. You know, like, yeah. like no censorship. I was like, well, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I appreciate it. Right. Five minutes,
connect with another kindred soul. Facts. Facts. Um, yeah, I'm, this is this is definitely not going to be the last time that we speak, and um, fingers crossed we'll even do another podcast down the line. You know, um, but yeah, I appreciate you, my bro, and um, thank you for being part of too much thank information, you. man. Love. Uh, take care. Love, my bro. Thank you, brother. Take care. Big up. Expected to ever have to work a nine to five job. I was never ever had expected to work. I was expected to be a minister in the nation of Islam, I was expected to be a captain in Islam, and even have some okay. or working in a business, a black business and stuff, but that didn't work out. So when that bubble was burst, everyone was just left, you know, just cast asunder in Islam. So everyone had to figure out for themselves what was right, what was wrong. You spend a whole life living under restrictive rules, you know, and laws. Mm. And for me, that was like coming out of lockdown. Mm-hmm. Like coming out of lockdown because it was like, wow, I can smoke, I can drink, I can have sex, <laughs> I can yeah. stay up for that, I can party, I can wear these trainers, I don't have to wear a suit every day. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like wow, this and yeah, that. Options, yeah, options. So, so for me, I think, yeah, it's it's hard because I'm trying to relearn, or in my case, I'm not trying to relearn myself. I'm trying to discover myself for the first time. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of things that you have to work through in order to get to that point. Being in your childhood trauma is understanding your behaviors and understanding that most of your habits and behaviors are things that really created or things mm-hmm. that put into you. You understand? So, my habit for getting up at six o'clock in the morning, six o'clock. Is based on the fact that you know my stepdad would come in my room and would kick my bed, you know, would wake me up, you know, every single morning if I wasn't awake at a certain time. You know? So mm-hmm. now I jump up sometimes. Sometimes I wake up at six thirty, but uh, my dad's not here. I'm going back to school. Is that? Yeah, <laughs> is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. The process of trying to learn your true self and trying to discover who you are demands a lot of honesty mm-hmm. about who you are 
and by the moon. What triggered my journey on this superhuman way of self-discovery and this stuff is that one of the ironic things about the nation of Islam is that my mom the member and she then went to the nation of Islam dispersed now my bars was like no you're so talented you're intelligent you go out there and get a job now for me that's like what like, I was I was told I'm never working for the white man that's what I was grew up told that that was my childhood so it's like all right Cool. But something didn't feel right within me doing that. You know? mm-hmm. I would get jobs and I would be working for three months at a time. And after three months, in my head, I know my brain cells are dying at this point. I'm coming into a job and I'm repeating myself and repeating myself and repeating myself. I have never in my life up until this point ever had to repeat or do the same thing mm. every single day. You understand? So yeah. that was a struggle for me. You understand? Mm-hmm. Every single day I was doing something different. Going to a forest this day, studying maths, but a different topic, studying English, but a different topic. You know, my whole life there was some kind of change. There wasn't a routine based. And it life. was and it seemed like it and it was always progression. See that progress. Yeah. Um, if I'm in a job and I don't see progress in that job, why am I here? Yeah. What are you doing for me? Oh, it's money. I don't really care about money. I care about experiences. You understand? I care about learning about the world that I live in. And by through having those experiences, I can understand the world better. Mm-hmm. Money that for me. You understand? But I now I've learned to align that with my purpose. So I understand that, yeah, we do need money to function in this world. But by understanding your purpose, you are able to attract more money to you. Do understand? But for it to be honest about who you are, in the nation of Islam, we call that the self-accusing spirit. Okay. And the self-accusing voice or the self-accusing spirit is that voice that you hear when you're about to do something bad, and it's okay. like you don't do it. <laughs> you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. That recorded. Um, that self-accusing spirit. When you are going to do something that goes against who you are, that voice pipes up in your head. But oftentimes, okay. Okay. Go, <laughs> oftentimes, magnify that voice. We quieten that voice because we have to fit in. We have to submit. We have to understand. So mm-hmm. often. We kill ourselves in order to fit in to the world now that we live in. Because as a child, no. Your name's Chucks, right? Yeah. Right? That's um, my full name. That's yeah. that's a shortened version of my name. Okay. Uh, my, my full name is longer, yeah. Your full name is Wachuku. Wow, oh, Wachuku. Okay. 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 Oh. I like that name. Yeah. Yeah. So you can feel this, you can feel the spirit of the candor in that game. Yeah. Uh, so there's a naming in itself. 
the names that we have. Mm -hmm. We didn't choose our names. Yes. Our identity from birth was given to us by someone else. Mm -hmm. So how can you tell me who you are? How do you know that you are Wichuku? You didn't decide that you are Wichuku. True. Understand? True. True. So it's based yeah. on that basis, man. Someone asked your name, and then everything that comes with that name, the, you know, the history of that name, the family, your family's lineage, that stuff, all of that is back to you, and that's what you step forward with. And mm -hmm. that's what, oh, understand? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah I, I agree. I, I agree. I do think that it is, I feel like that's a part of, that's still, that's, that's still an element. I think this is me and my God brother, we speak about this. Um, growing up, we spoke about it, that your name is, is the one word that you hear the most in your life. And you know, as a Rasta, word sound has power in it. So that's what, that's how we're raised. That's how, that's what we believe, right? So um when this one word is spoken to you it has a it like you said it has a history it has it has um it has a a lineage of people yeah. and of meaning to mm. to that name so when the name is spoken onto you um it it ignites energy within you mm. right so um Yes, it's not um, who you are, but it is a part of who you are, and I think I think that that is um, I think that is the power or the gift of being a parent is being able to give that to someone. Give that to yeah. somebody. Yeah. But where it gets where it gets funny in this world mm -hmm. is how to make control uh, that comes with naming someone, the sense of ownership that comes with naming. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's them, not you. Eh? That's Say them, it? not you. That's them, not you. I don't even know if I want to name my child, man. I'll be like, no one's going to be nameless. <laughs> <laughs> when you yeah. get old, you your name and give yourself a name. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Is that I think if you understand the culture you know, of naming in in Africa, you know, mm -hmm. in our and stuff, it is about understanding the spirit of the child. Yeah. Um, so yeah. our ancestors realized that children and babies were not their offspring. They were bringing something into the world as of the future. They were bringing another spirit into the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That child to respect and honor the spirit that that child is meant to be. Do you understand? You know, when people say yeah. other past times, you know, like we live a past life, when we, when we step into this physical suit, we're saying mm -hmm. that this spirit that has lived there this lifetime before us, we've lost the identity of who that spirit is. Mm -hmm. Because come into the child, we're innocent beings. We understand, we grapple at everything. We're looking for answers. We're looking curious, man. We want to understand the world, and that's our rights as human beings. That's who we are. Our mm -hmm. curiosity is what, you know, we, we, we are taught that curiosity kills the cat. But does it really, you understand? Mm -hmm. you know, it does kill the cat. What exactly is this cat? 
yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He said, I've been curious and I found that I started myself has been curious as a result of that. So it's that. So mm-hmm. yes, when it comes to names and identity, I accept what you were saying about, you know, as a parent, there's a power in that. But then when you take that power to mean that you don't have ownership of someone, mm-hmm. that's when you then curtail that identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that, I, that I agree with. You're taking them from their natural path to what you think is good Facts. for them. Facts. I, I would say, I'm doing what I think is good for you. I'm doing what I know I always make. And there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. But mm-hmm. there's also a need to understand that children are the future. If you need to educate mm-hmm. them how to protect themselves from harm in this world, because this is how the world has always been, then you as a parent, you as an adult who lived in this world before this child hasn't done enough to create a world for that child where you wouldn't need to tell them to protect themselves, where you wouldn't need to tell them to look out for the con man, you wouldn't need to understand that mm. we create the world that we live in. As much mm. as we talk about government and stuff, everything, silence is the same as acceptance. Facts. Definitely. Yeah. We accept what a government imposes on you. Except obviously some people are believe that they're powerless, but are we really powerless? Definitely not. Understand. So that's that that's where but that's my kind of slam when it comes to identity, is that you'll find that when you really delve deep into how many families interact and how many families are formed, you'll notice there's a lot of control that love that is that we say that mm. we have for everyone is mostly conditional. It's not very it's not mm. unconditional. It's, that's, that's very someone, true. Someone gives a person that you don't like in Christmas or custom them for a whole year until next Christmas. Mm-hmm. You understand that love is condi- is conditional. Yeah. Someone does they don't help you fix your car, they don't help you paint your house. Suddenly you don't want to talk to them no more, you don't understand the mm-hmm. love that oh in this West that we've been grown to know is conditional and therefore it is not true love. We love based on what we can control someone to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree. And that's where parents tend to, parents and children, the clash tend to begin because a parent's idea of love is if you do this degree and get the doctor, I will love you know you you're gonna make me look so good make me you're gonna validate me as a parent mm-hmm. so that's gonna validate all that you know the, all, all the struggle that I've been through but if you go out and do the career as a singer a stripper or you no know, whatever it is you wanna do then you know you gotta <laughs> yeah. validate me yeah. as a as a parent you understand that where it comes yeah. down to a ego thing a lot yeah. of the time and that's where I tend to find that I'm a lot my views on parenting, my views on parents, my views on how we parent would be considered quite radical to many. It would be shit. Give me, give me, shit, shit, give me, give me. <laughs> the reason I ask, the the re the reason that the reason that the reason I ask you is because I agree in in theory, I agree yeah. with what you say. I agree that um it's it's not when you become a parent. It's not about what you want. It's mm. about what's best for this 
new person or this yeah. person that is new to the world that you've created, as you say. Um, where I where I struggle is with the idea of um, foresight. So um, when people say hindsight is twenty twenty, um, so people say I can I've I've been through this I've been through all of this and. Yeah. It has brought me to this point, and I have I have experienced this. Yeah. So I do not want my child to go down that road, mm-hmm. but I understand that they are their own person, and um, they have to walk their path. Yeah. Right. So it's a fine line. It's a fine line between. Um, instruction and direction or or that no instruction and control so, so yeah. yeah so um how do I you yeah. yeah instruction yeah instruction the thing is what most people are mistaken with me when they come into my instagram page is they think i'm someone who's going to be putting out workouts um who's going to be like doing workout plans. I don't have the patience for that. If you want to learn, then I can teach you, but you you need to be willing to explore and do what I don't have answers for you. I'll give you the tools that you need to get the answers for yourself. You understand? Nation of Islam teaching. I would parent. Mm -hmm. I would give children the answers. I would give them the tools that they need, and that is what I believe parents need to focus on. If you, for me, if a parent is cussing Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all the next stuff, but not doing enough you know, to protect their children from bullying, that parent has failed. Mm-hmm. Instagram, mm-hmm. Snapchat, all that stuff, they're not the problem. The problem is the fact that your child isn't strong enough within themselves to know themselves, within themselves, be who they are and stand outside in the world as a strong person. You haven't mm-hmm. given them the tools to be able to stand out and be able to know that there will be people out there who will hate them. There will be people out there who will be so full of hate that they will want to come out there and take from their, their happiness and their joy so that they can bring them down to their level. You understand the problem isn't social media. The problem is the fact that we're raising children mm-hmm. on mentally, spiritually, even physically, Stable, they understand that awesome, you understand that because of that, they're vain, they're going looking for validation on social media, you understand, and yeah. that's where you start to see where for me the parenting has taken a downturn because I've always been an intergenerational, intergeneration gap. Um, uh, from like when I was 15, I would do like research on the gap between generations and how. You know, the older generation, the younger generation, they just seem to get further and further apart in their understanding of each other. Right. Um, now you can see that even more so, because I think in 2010, I was actually talking about social media, I was writing blogs about social media and the privacy laws that they were created and how they were giving too much, um, they're giving away too much information. I was also talking about how parents didn't understand what their children were doing. Yeah, I'm going to have an impact on their children's mental health. Mm-hmm. 
how your civil this thing is being written about all the time, which I wish I for me. The phone, social media, all that stuff, that's not the problem. I didn't get my first phone until I think I was 12, 13, 14. Yeah, about 14, 15, I got my first phone and stuff. Yeah. I'm saying cases okay, six, seven, eight, yeah. walking around phone now. And it's mm-hmm. not just a, when I got my phone, yeah, I couldn't even play Snake on the phone, but it mm-hmm. was so basic, yeah. Mm-hmm. All you could do was text and call. Are you ready, children? They've got internet, they've got Snapchat, they've got this, they've got that. The parents are push them I push them away in that sense. But let me yeah. let me um I don't I don't I don't even like the term devil's advocate but I'll but I'll use it. If if the phones that exist now were around then mm. and the same price point I've I believe I probably would have had the same thing. I would have had the same options. I think. Because I think it costs now for a now for an internet phone I don't know you could probably get it for less than a hundred pounds, right? And I believe that my first phone that my mum got for me when I was probably about the same age was a rubbish phone as well. But that was probably, I don't know how much my mum paid for it. She didn't tell me, but it was probably a decent amount of money at that time. So um, what I think is, is that parents need to, like you said, Parents, it's a parent's responsibility to control that the environment mm-hmm. rather it. than rather than uh, control the control the child. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah. Basically, is you do need to control the environment because children are creatures of chaos. Mm-hmm. Okay cannot be controlled. Chaos should not be yeah. controlled. Yeah. I subscribe to chaos theory and chaos theory such that it's within chaos that you can find patterns that then lead you to new orders. You understand? And mm-hmm. if a child you say that children are the future, then children are the ones who notice the pattern. That's why you notice these videos that people laugh about where a child is put out an adult and their behavior or their attitude and that stuff. These children are noticing patterns, that's their innocence, that's them showing you what the world would look like if people were kinder, if people were nice, do you understand? And mm. people like, oh, how cute and stuff. But that's not going to happen. Why? Because we, the adults, don't want that to happen. We are making that happen. We are controlling the environments that we create for our children. Do you understand? We're allowing other people to create environments for our children. Yeah. The most radical thing for me, I would say about parents is that if you haven't gone through a, a journey of self-discovery, dealing with your trauma or whatever it is you've gone through, you're going to do it to your children. Mm-hmm. You're going to put that negativity, that energy onto your children because it won't be abuse, but children I can't remember. There's a quote that I read online once and it says something like uh, children do not listen to advice. Yeah. 
children do not follow your advice, they follow your lead. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, one thing I always struggled with was parents, so in my case, my mom would be asking me to No, start a business, run my business, no go, no do, no do what I'm doing and stuff. And it's not necessarily going very well. It was maybe struggling a little bit. Mm. But my mum would feel entitled to be able to tell me how my business is going or to tell me that this is what I should be doing, this is where I should be, this is where I but I mind mind was like, okay, that's cool. But you need to be there. Why aren't you there? Why aren't you? Why don't you have your own business? Why don't you have this money? Why aren't you a millionaire? You understand? That's what I'm saying. That if you put that pressure on your children to be that, then you also have to put that pressure on yourself to be the same thing. To be is that parents seem to get all right. Cool. There's a future now. I've done my bit. There's a child there. I'm gonna raise you. My life stop. Your life begin. I don't need to change no more. You have to do all the time, you have to do all the improvement because I've mm -hmm. done it all. And then they bombard you with all the experience that they have and how their experience outweighs yours. And because of that, but I'm like, you lived in the 1960s, I'm living in 2020, man. It's not the same time. It's the type of, that's what I say, there's so many various elements that really go into unpicking you know, the issues. That arises from parenting and children, why children are the way they are today, mm. why they're doing the things that they're doing today, and mm. what they're doing on social media is natural. It's what children will do anyway. Mm -hmm. But mm. you put they've grown up in that environment. But then to turn around and then point the finger at the children as being the problem instead of the parents, you just mm -hmm. go and say that Facebook or Instagram is the, is the problem rather mm. than the parents. Raising these bullies who go online so hateful, so unloved that they want to go and put that onto someone else. Mm -hmm. The our whole, our whole process is to externalize the problem rather than to look at ourselves. And this goes back to what I'm saying about you need to be honest with yourself and who you are. You and that you begin to question. No, am I really the person that I think I am? Am I really, you know, as intelligent? Am I really as chaste? Am I really as righteous? You know, <laughs> am I really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Old and, and you know, do I really want to be this millionaire flash body and you know, got popping money, champagne? You know? Do I really want to do these things, or is this something someone else has made? Does someone make me feel so inadequate? That I need to be something bigger than what I really am. You understand? Mm -hmm. That's just what it tends to be. Someone made you feel so inadequate that you're compensating now. That Welcome to Too Much Information. Um, I'm very happy to have um, you here. Um, one question I did want to ask you is how would you how how do you want to be 
Alright, Sabian. Perfect. Alright, um, but welcome. Thank you for doing this. Um I really, I really appreciate it. Um yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to speaking to you. We had a we had a small talk before and I was just saying that, you know, um your especially I only know you through your Instagram page and it's really inspirational. Um I've got a big belly. My belly's big. So when I see people like you that can do um crazy things with their body and the training their body so hard it's inspiring to me um so yeah i'm looking forward to finding out how how you became you start from um family so you you as a child yeah um what was your house like how was you what was how how were you raised in your house well i was brought up in a single parent household okay Uh, um my sister um up until i was about four or so and now my dad wasn't really around so much Uh, my first memory of you know, my mum and dad was you know, physical altercation between them, really. And that was like the last time I really saw my dad. And uh, you know, I saw him again at 11, what helped you, but my childhood really was just typical black family, you know, breaking the bed line type of thing. You know, which right, I thought, like, right. Mum was always working. You know, I spent a lot of time in other people's homes while my mum was working. You know, it was me and my yeah. sister sister would be looking after yeah, me yeah. So my my home environment was um my home environment is very much attached to some choices that my mum made in terms of religion and who we assigned ourselves to and we assigned ourselves to or my mum assigned herself to the nation of Islam. Okay. You know, yeah? Of course. Yeah. 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 So um Basically, the age of four to the age of 15, I was pretty much in the nation of Islam. Um, they schooled by them, so I had a black school. Oh. About three or four days a week, there were meetings. So in the evenings, I'd be in school in the day, and in the evenings, I'd be in meetings. Wow. And uh, we learned that military routines, so, uh, drilling, uh, martial arts sports, fitness, and all that stuff, so, but I was one of the first children of the Nation of Islam in the UK, so I was kind of pushed a little bit more as a role model to the other children that came along. Right, right. had that pressure, so to speak, without Mm. realizing pressure, to be the top, to be the best, to be the first, to be, you know, you understand, so we're doing something like martial arts. If everyone else had 50 kicks, I had 100 or 150 kicks, you know, just bad. So mm-hmm. I was getting pushed further and further than everyone else. And um, I suppose I didn't really, I didn't really realize it back then, but that type of schooling, that type of education kind of conditioned the way I think. 
Um, how so? Now, how? In what way? Well, you have, for instance, I'm very much a subscriber to instead of being in the war zone, being you know, rising above that in order to see the whole landscape. So my life is, and how I see the world is that I can't. What humans tend to do is we minimalize our lives to the, our little universe of what is okay. more relevant to us. So you want to get a job, you want to get a degree, you want to get a house, but it's relevant to you and your family, your close ones. That's all you care about. And so the outside world intervenes into that. Then you protest. Then you have to prevent that. I prefer to have an eagle's eye perspective where I can see the whole world for what it is. And I, that is something that I learned from being in the nation of Islam. You know, many people call them conspiracy theories. They call us conspiracy theories. Many people say that they're and black supremacists and other stuff. But in, in reality, what we wanted was black community. We wanted something for black people to own. We want to look at black communities, but the only community that has nothing, you understand? Mm -hmm. But that, too, everyone else is being anti Semitic, that everyone else is being racist, that everyone else is being black supremacist, you understand? But yeah, for course. why? That's up and said that we're just far right, it's our politics, our patriots, you understand? Mm -hmm. But why we're not allowed to have that same well, um sense of ownership for ourselves, yeah? Mm -hmm. So, um, with that, the Nation of Islam schooling was very much, was very much drilled. Maths, we were studying maths, GCSE maths at eight, nine, ten, eleven, you understand, you know, so, in, in a sense, I would call it, from my research in later years, you call yeah. it hot tub babies, right? Okay. Or, or test tube babies, so to speak. They're, they're created in a volume, right, in a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. And there is no access to them from the outside world, and they have no access to the outside world. Mm -hmm. You understand? Yeah. That's how childhood I would go through in my childhood. So mm -hmm. I would a bit of a, a, a vacuum, a very unique vacuum. Because yeah. we had a school for black children, black teachers, you know, we started you know, maths and English well advanced and well ahead of our years. We studying black history and you know, things that most black people in this country don't know. We understand that we're going really deep we're understanding how movies have subliminal messages in them, cartoons, films, and like that, understanding the narrative of stories and the fact that movies take from history, they take from human nature, they take from human behavior, and then they throw it right back at us. Yeah. And then it, not realizing that it's a mirror of your own life. So that eagle eyes view is, mm -hmm. you know, that how I would say that the nation of Islam is um, a gift and a curse in that respect. Yeah. Um, yeah. When Estimation of Islam, I didn't really know how to interact with I children. can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. That must have been so difficult. I want to talk about politics. I want to talk about what Bill Clinton doing, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm black. 
this country is unfortunate to be black. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, with that in mind, you have to keep that awareness that you can you can't get too comfortable in this mm -hmm. country. It's, um, yeah, it's that's that's a that's a that's very interesting. Um, because I, I feel like I am very comfortable. Um, there are there are some similarities in the way that we were both raised. Yeah. So, okay. um, I was I was raised. My mum was Rasta when I was raised. She was a Rastafarian. Okay. okay. All right. Um, but then. We had a lot of. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but then but then as I got as as I grew a little bit, she became she became a Muslim for a little while. Yeah. Um but more of a Orthodox Muslim rather yeah. than nation. But yeah. I had a but I had an uncle that was nation of Islam. Okay. And he was um a member of the mosque in Stoke Newington. So that's so, East London. London under Wayne. Um maybe, maybe. Maybe. Okay. Um, so I went to a few meetings, um, but I was I was a wild boy. I was a I was an indisciplined boy. Um it was it was it was very it was too it was too rigid for me. You understand? <laughs> so um yeah. I, w I was invited. Um I'm thirty-eight. But, okay. So yeah, you would have been a bit older for you to yeah, I admit so. Yeah. And at, at this time, I would these times I was probably, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen, maybe that yeah, sort so of age. So yeah, um, yeah. Yes. How old are you? I was I was three. I'm thirty two. Okay. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Okay. Lockdown didn't make. So. So it's 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 interesting for me as somebody as somebody who I don't know had a had a little peek in I saw yeah. I saw a little bit um, it's in, when I'm when I'm when I'm hearing you speak about your your life inside the nation as a young person um, it makes me it 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 fills in a lot of gaps because it fills in it feel it makes me understand because I, I saw the I saw the FOI um yeah. I saw the I saw the youngsters marching yeah. and all of that yeah. stuff. and yeah. I, from the outside looking in it was it was amazing it yeah. was something that um I aspired amazing thing for black children to be grown up in that environment I yeah. can imagine I, I can imagine achieved it yeah Yes, anyway. but uh, <laughs> but this is the thing. But when you're when you're young and you yeah. look at it, you, you when you're young and you look, you see, like you said, you you see the um you see the you shininess. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, you romanticize <laughs> it. Now as an adult and I look back, it's something that I'd never thought about. Um, what it was actually like for a young person in the nation. So I didn't I didn't know that until you said it about yourself, but now when I think, um, I didn't I didn't want the discipline of state school. 
Mm. I bucked against. I felt I I fought against the the constraints and tightness of state school, yeah. and there was no really there wasn't really any rules, uh, you know. Um, so to be um, a an aware black child, yeah, 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 um, because that's what you were raised to be, yeah, and then on top and then to be constrained and restricted from expressing your 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 true self or your questions that you may have um, because that's what I got from it I never yeah been given an identity so to speak right right yeah. and I um, think yeah go on what I'm currently noticing is that yeah you're given an identity by you know with good intentions really. mm -hmm. but that identity that I was given was based around war was based around struggle was based yeah, around yeah. unfortunately that was the times I grew up I grew up in the 90s you know and 90s but not easy for black people in the UK mm -hmm. but, yeah you know, a lot of deaths in custody you know that stuff there was mm -hmm. a lot and my childhood was marching protest police beat like you know, having fights with racist white men and that stuff. I'm 13, or so why am I fighting with racist dudes? <laughs> you understand? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, you know, just, uh, it does put an identity on you. Mm -hmm. The identity then becomes what you tend to spend the rest of your life fighting mm -hmm. um, in order to when that war is done, if you're a war time child or you're a war, you know, a war veteran, if you've gone through various tours of duty, when you come back, you can't reimmerse yourself into you know, normal life because you know war and you're like, all you know is war, all you know mm. is, is you know, being on edge, being alert, you know, that's what you stand so. You see people comfortable, they're relaxing, and they're living their lives. And you come back from killing 500 men, seeing people blown up, and you're like, this is not it, man. We need to get ready. There's a war coming. There's a war coming. That's how you're trained. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. See? So for me now, it's like, okay, cool. It's kind of funny because lockdown has put me right back, my head right back into that zone. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Yeah. I'm like, uh, the way they're moving right now, it feels like how I felt in the 90s. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, I'm not too sure about this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. When the war is over, we have to learn how to live again. And for me, for the last mm -hmm. 15 years, that war has been over. So the last 15 years, I've been trying to learn how to live again. So when you were when you were being taught, like back in in the school in um the nation of the, the nation of Islam school, there was there was no special effort made towards helping you in any way. Um, no, I didn't get any support. Wow. One. I don't really know what my mum told the teachers about yeah. my death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two, the classes were very small. Right. There was, 
max 12 students in the class, mm -hmm. which meant that the student pretty much got that individual attention in a okay. classroom. So it basically nullified the need for me to feel like I didn't yeah. do it. That we were in classrooms where the sound wasn't bouncing around, it was just stayed in the room. I mean, it's done. So mm -hmm. things like that helps me to be able mm -hmm. to adapt to and learn to adapt to that. But that learning system was very unique because how we learned in the school and how we learned in the college were totally different things. It was mm -hmm. done. So mm -hmm. it was again something hard for me to transition. So to, in, what, in what way was it different apart from the classroom so, size? Okay, so. We were considered students, not pupils. Okay. Because pupils are just people who learn how to regurgitate information. Mm -hmm. Students are people who study information and take from that information what benefits them. Okay. Excuse me. So we were taught, no, we would take one word and this one word that always comes into my head whenever i think of um my native damn school eh? it's this one word and we had a class where my teacher was it's like an english technical class and what he would do he'd give us one word and challenge us to find up to as many different ways that one word or as many different contexts we can use or apply that word to. So it could be this one word that always comes to my head is ghastly. Mm -hmm. How many different contexts can you apply that word? You know, in a sentence, if you change the word around or that stuff, you know, how does the context change? And in doing so, it makes you understand how people can use words in deceptive ways. You understand? And mm -hmm. you know, in that respect, we were taught in a way that was more to do with being free. We were free to explore. My mum always used to buy books from the Thames South Bank. Okay. Bookstore, there's always a bookstore along the Thames. Mm -hmm. Every Sunday we'd go down there and buy a book. Now mum's got like a library, you know, where I was there to put a book. As a child, I would read through all the books to be thinking about, you know, the Industrial Revolution, be thinking about the heart. Things about biology, uh, uh, things about books about law, religion, philosophy, like any anything you can think of. These are the type of books I read. I didn't read story books growing up. Mm -hmm. I read non-fiction. You know, I don't. Yeah. I I was a kid who'd be on the bus trying to read. You know, the Guardian. You know, the board sheet paper kind of flick it yeah, up. Yeah. That that was me. That I understood those words because I was taught in that way. So mm -hmm. I was take information and extract from that information what suits me. Whereas in state education, children are taught to regurgitate information for the purpose of quotas, grades, mm -hmm. percentage. You don't hear, oh, you know, we are getting healthy, you know, conscientious students. We're here, yeah. we hear, oh, we're getting and we, the grades, you know, 87% in A grades, 92% in B grades. And that's how children yeah. are being so then you have to then question, are children healthy 
really being developed within that system. Mm. Uh, for me, whether I, I would say I was mentally healthfully developed, physically I was healthfully developed, but I still went through things that caused my adulthood to kind of go upside down, you understand? Mm. And that's where, no matter what system you choose, there's always going to be pitfalls. Okay, now that's what I was, that's 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 exactly what I was gonna that's what I was gonna ask you, because I was gonna ask whether there was whether you thought one was uh, not better but more effective yeah. than the other. Um, I in terms of education, yeah. In terms of understanding, as a black person, as a black child, in terms of education. Um, terms of identity, self-identity, and sense of just having that wholesomeness of spirit to know that no what you're going to, when you make a decision, you are going to achieve that thing. Yeah. I would say the way I was taught would beneficial. Mm -hmm. Socialization. All right. Okay. I would say state school is more beneficial than this time, but because obviously I didn't really play with children who weren't in the nation of Islam as a child. I only mm -hmm. really played when we were with other children uh, because of the way we acted you know, around each other, we were very protective of the girls. You know, just after if any little kid come and try and bother the girls, we'd be like, get out there, man, leave the girls alone. So we were very protective of so That's how we were brought up in that sense. Uh, in the sense, I was considering myself almost like a war child in that type of Yeah. Yeah. Side of making a decision to mm -hmm. be pro-black in the UK or even any, any Western country mm -hmm. is that you are going to face resistance from the state, mm -hmm. face resistance from the government. Uh, my childhood was is riddled with resistance you know i'm sure if you saw the video i posted of the uh stephen lawrence inquiry no there's a video on my instagram i posted of stephen lawrence inquiry um mm -hmm. and um, the nation of islam were attending on behalf of stephen lawrence um there's footage of the police attacking them it's trying to stop them from coming into the inquiry but it was generally a show of force you know, any time they stepped out, any time you know, those men of the nation of Islam stepped out, they stepped out in great numbers. I remember two, three hundred of them. You know, if they're going out for black men to beat up by the police, you know, there's two, three hundred black men in suits and bow ties going yeah. down. Come on. That, Come on, yeah. That was what we had in this country. So a lot of people feel like we don't have that here, but we did have that. That's what I grew up knowing. Yeah. So, downside for me was. Growing up in a life of pretty much like I would say, we were Palestinian living in Israel. We were yeah. getting bombarded left, right, and center. Our schools yeah. were, uh, were protesting because the councils you know, were finding obnoxious reasons. They want to shut down the school. Ofsted would come down and say, you know, you're not teaching these children to the standard that they're meant to be. But mm -hmm. we were teaching above the standard. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put above the standard. So there were a 
lot of things that I'm, I'm proud to be, or I'm proud to be a member of the Nation of Islam, I'm proud to be raised as a member of the Nation of Islam, because like I said, it gave me that sense of purpose, it gave, it's given me that, the knowledge and the insights and the power to be able to inspire someone like yourself, bro, mm -hmm. 